Welcome to the Ortho Eval Pal podcast, where we can help you build confidence with your orthopedic evaluation and management skills. We hope you enjoy the show. And now for your host, Paul Marquis. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 253 of the Ortho Eval Pal podcast. I am your host, Paul Marquis, and today we're going to be talking about axillary nerve palsy. We'll be going over some of the anatomy surrounding the axillary nerve. We'll talk about some of the causes of axillary nerve palsy discuss some of the signs and symptoms of axillary nerve injuries, and what to do if you identify a nerve injury of the axillary nerve during your clinical exam and so much more. But if you don't mind holding for a moment, we're here with our sponsors. You go into clinic every day to practice at the top of your license and provide the best care to your patients. Yet, four out of five orthopedists say that note-taking is interfering with patient care. Robin is here to change that. Robin provides ambient virtual scribing that's designed exclusively for orthopedics. Its Robin Assistant device ambiently captures your visits, so you can focus on patients, and Robin Virtual Scribes can deliver more complete clinical notes and codes to your EHR. Visit robin.co slash OEP. That's robin.co slash OEP to learn more. At MedCorp Professionals, we offer mobility aids, bracing and supports, compression garments, post-mastectomy care, and much more. Your health and well-being are important to us. Your recovery is our priority. Our certified team will guide you to the right products based on your medical needs, recent procedures, or mobility restrictions. Visit us on Route 1 in Scarborough or at MedCorpPro.com. We are Mark and Kelly Hassett, owners of MedCore. And we keep you moving forward. Welcome back, everyone. So for those of you who don't know me or this is the first time watching the Ortho Eval Pal podcast, welcome to the show. Um, I have been at this for um, several years now, and I've been a therapist for over 30 years doing physical therapy. Love what I do. Love the podcasting. Love putting uh, content up on YouTube with actual patients who have actual injuries so that you can see the real deal um, when we evaluate patients or maybe when we discuss how we might manage um, different situations for so thank you for jumping on and, and watching and for those of you who have been following me all along thank you folks for being there for me and for submitting great questions and comments and uh, giving feedback and uh, really appreciate that so first things first I need to give my biggest apologies for all of you out there who watched episode 250 and then went to episode 251 and heard 250 again. Um, hit the wrong button at the wrong time. We made a mistake uh, uploading. So we have re-uploaded episode 251 on uh, simple exercises for tennis elbow. So be sure to go check that out if, uh, if you missed out on it uh, in between our uh, mistake and uh, the reload. So uh, I apologize again and uh, hopefully that won't uh, happen again. So let's talk a little bit about axillary nerve injuries. Um, these are very rare, okay? But what I want you to do is I want you to park today's podcast in the back of your memory bank because I've seen probably three or four cases of axillary nerve injuries. And the first time I saw it, it was like, ah, you know, I was like going back to my college days trying to figure out what this was. But then when I saw it the second time, the third time, the fourth time, I always went back to my first one and I'm like, yes, this is what this is and this is why. So, um, you know, you may not see this very often, but it is great to remember. And it's also going to help you with your evaluation skills and how to tease out certain shoulder dysfunction. 
so um, you know, stay tuned through the end also because we're going to be adding a bunch of videos in the show notes that will correlate to some of the diagnoses we're going to be talking about today and, and some of these with actual patients with actual problems. So uh, be sure to check those out. Now, you need to consider axillary nerve palsy when you have a patient who comes in with you know significant shoulder weakness, and usually it's pretty dramatic when you end up with an axillary nerve uh, injury and and or you know sensory loss. Not always, but uh, sometimes you'll get both of them together. So I think it's important that we talk about the course of the axillary nerve first, and then we will kind of talk about how we evaluate this. So that axillary nerve uh, basically comes off that posterior cord of the brachial plexus. It goes inferior to the glenohumeral joint capsule and then splits into the anterior and posterior divisions. Now the anterior division controls the anterior middle deltoids. Your posterior division controls the posterior deltoid and teres minor and then continues on to finish up to become the superior lateral cutaneous nerve which innervates the lateral shoulder and that's where we get that little loss of uh, sensation uh, in the shoulder. That axillary nerve really originates from C5 and a little bit of C6 as far as nerve roots go, so it's something you need to remember. The axillary nerve is also a peripheral nerve, all right? So you can damage this nerve, and it can heal itself. Um, it can take a long time, but it, it does have that ability to uh, improve over time. So I just mentioned that you know, this comes off of the C5 nerve root. So if you're having some difficulty figuring out, well, is this a C5 nerve root compression problem, maybe a herniated disc or some sort of foraminal stenosis versus an axillary nerve, you simply check the reflexes. Um, deep tendon reflexes will not be affected by peripheral nerve lesion uh, and it, does, it just does not present the same as a nerve root compression type problem. So uh, that is one way to help uh, sort out the two. We'll talk a little bit about uh, other ways to sort this out uh, in just a little bit. So what can cause you know, an axillary nerve injury? Well, trauma. So some sort of a blow to the uh, inferior aspect of the, uh, the shoulder and the axillary area. Uh, you can have a traction type of injury. So something where your arm gets pulled and, um, you know, and, and you stretch that nerve, you can develop something called Parsons-Turner syndrome or brachial neuritis, which I will put a video of uh, in, the, uh, in the show notes. An anterior dislocation with, you know, forced abduction is one of the more common ways and common causes of axillary nerve injury. So once that shoulder is reduced, if it's, if it's dislocated for a long time, the longer it's dislocated, the, the longer or the easier you have a chance of having some sort of an axillary nerve palsy. So getting that reduced as soon as possible is very important. Um, another uh, source or cause of axillary nerve injury could be SIRVA, S-I-R-V-A. For those of you who missed it, episode 209, I talk about this shoulder injury related to vaccine administration. And, uh, you know, if the injection is not given in the right place, the needle length is too long, um, the axillary nerve can become affected. And uh, that can be pretty devastating because you can end up with some long-term problems with that. So think about that. If you see somebody and you suspect an axillary nerve injury, you know, ask about the last time they had a, um, a an intramuscular injection near the deltoid region. There may be a correlation between the two of them. So keep that in mind. I have seen people with shingles, uh, 
you know, affecting the C5 nerve root and that whole complex that gets right down to the shoulder and uh, renders a person pretty weak. So I have a great video of a gentleman who has that and uh, be sure to check that out. Other folks can develop thoracic outlet syndrome and then people with a rotator cuff tear can have obviously some, you know, shoulder discomfort, obvious weakness. Um, but I think what can, what can set this apart regarding the rotator cuff tear versus a, an axillary nerve injury is the significant atrophy that you'll see in the deltoid. So the rotator cuff rarely will ever demonstrate or present with a lot of atrophy in that deltoid, uh, but an axillary nerve will. So a little story here I want to tell you about a couple patients that I had. Um, my, my first one that I had with an axillary nerve palsy was a young lady. She um, was in the delivery room and she was pushing really hard, trying to deliver her baby, and reached over and grabbed a hold of some bars and just really strained hard and sustained a traction type injury um, to her shoulder. Woke up, basically ended up with, um, you know, some some shoulder discomfort, some loss of function. She couldn't lift, she couldn't abduct her arm. She had difficulty externally rotating a little bit. And then soon after that, started to develop some upper trapezius pain because she couldn't lift her, she couldn't abduct her arm very well, so her upper trap was really overcompensating. So she ended up getting a couple of cortisone injections for subchromial uh, impingement, uh, did not improve, ended up in our office where we identified, and I will try to place a picture of this in the um, show notes of the email that I sent out. Um, but it, it was there was some significant deltoid atrophy, weakness into abduction, and loss of sensation around that lateral deltoid region. And so we, we rehabbed her for quite a long time, had to manage a lot of this accessory muscle pain, you know, to compensate, and uh, did fairly well with that. Underwent some surgery to decompress the nerve, and then probably ended up with about 80 to 85% of function after uh, she'd had that surgery done. So um, this did cause her some long-term issues, but it did take, you know, one to two years before she was able to reach her maximal medical improvement. So you need to know that if there is some sort of a nerve uh, injury of some sort, that they can take a long time to get better. We'll talk about identifying that in a little bit. The other patient uh, I had seen after that, that was pretty significant was a gentleman who had a reverse total shoulder arthroplasty and also a latissimus transfer at the same time. Um, you know, we, we know that if somebody does not have a rotator cuff, people with reverse total shoulder arthroplasties are very, very dependent on their deltoids. So he comes out of surgery and we see him a couple weeks later and he has no deltoids at all. They are not turning on. Now he has significant atrophy. We can basically see the reverse total shoulder. We can see the, uh, the prosthesis right underneath his skin. Um, he was so atrophied. He did end up doing well and uh, this did respond over time. It took several months, but with lots and lots of work, uh, we were able to get this guy to a very, very functional level, almost to the point where he was about 90% of normal range of motion after uh, all of this. So it was uh, quite significant. And uh, so, you know, what is the, the physical presentation? What do these people look like when they have this? Well, typically they're gonna have a loss of shoulder abduction. Okay, occasionally loss of external rotation because that, uh, that posterior division can get hit and cause some external rotation weakness, but sometimes that's hard to identify because you still have the infraspinatus, which is working fine and can compensate for that. So really, it's 
abduction, a little bit of flexion, that'll be quite altered. You'll see some significant deltoid atrophy and might even see like a sag sign at the shoulder. And, um, you know, because that deltoid obviously helps to stabilize that glenohumeral joint and keep it in place. And if that's not functioning, it's really just hanging there off of the, you know, the glenohumeral ligaments and the surrounding capsular tissue and the, the little bit of the rotator cuff that is you know, trying to hold on to that. So you will see that kind of um, weakness. And you'll also get some loss of sensation quite often around the lateral deltoid area. And uh, so, and then other things you should consider when you're doing that evaluation would be clearing the cervical spine. Check out the deep tendon reflexes, sensation, manual muscle testing. You know, that is going to be very important now. Obviously, if you have a C5 nerve root compression, you'll have some weakness in the deltoids. If you have an axillary nerve palsy, you're going to have weakness in the deltoids. You may have loss of sensation in the same area. But one of the things that will give it away will be the deep tendon reflexes, which should not be altered by the axillary nerve palsy. And then, even more importantly, you do some special tests of the cervical spine. So if you do a Sperling's test, which I will put a video in for you, and um, they have increased pain in the shoulder and or increased paresthesia, then it's really not the axillary nerve, okay? If you traction the neck and the pain goes away, the paresthesia gets better, and maybe they, uh, maybe they have improved strength in their deltoid while you traction their neck, as you would see in the marquee maneuver, um, you know, then it is not an axillary nerve either. So you're really kind of working the neck here and ruling out the shoulder. And so that's very important when you uh, evaluate these patients to take a look at that and uh, break that all down and say, okay, is this a shoulder problem? Is this a viral problem? Is this, uh, you know, where did this come from? And, uh, and how is it presenting? The other thing you want to ask yourself is, you know, was there a sudden onset without a mechanism of injury? Okay, and was the pain really severe for one to two weeks? Some people will develop something called Parsonage-Turner syndrome, where they have this severe pain for one to two weeks, they take all kinds of medication, it doesn't help, it's really intractable pain, it's severe. And if it's the left shoulder, everybody goes in thinking they're having a heart attack to the emergency department, um, and then they have all kinds of tests done, and it's very hard to identify, um, but it, can be identified, and that's the classic presentation right there. Usually a couple of weeks go by, and this acute brachial neuritis settles down, and then they are left with significant deltoid atrophy and weakness. Okay, so I have a, uh, a podcast, if you've missed it, on Parsons-Turner syndrome. That's podcast number 117, and um, I'll also put a link to a video of a patient who has Parsons-Turner syndrome. You can check that out also. I'm telling you, I've got all kinds of great content for you here, and I hope that you have a, a chance to take all that into consideration because, again, what looks like a duck quacks like a duck and walks like a duck could smell like a skunk, and it may not be what you think it is, so you have to be thinking outside of the box. Um, if you do identify clinically that a patient has an axillary nerve injury, or you suspect it, the best diagnostic test for it really is an EMG study. An MRI would be the next best test, especially if you're kind of worried about, you know, that, that there was no mechanism of injury. There was no, you know, traction injury. There was no trauma to the arm. There was no dislocation. 
they just kind of suddenly came on, they started to lose strength, they had atrophy, maybe loss of sensation. It's possible they could have a tumor that is compressing or some sort of other compressive lesion that's compressing that axillary nerve. So the MRI would be much better at identifying that, but the EMG really is the way to go. And to be honest, I have spoken to many physiatrists and neurologists about when do you do an EMG after a nerve injury like this, and I, the consensus has been wait at least three weeks after the injury before having that because it's difficult to get very accurate information in that acute inflammatory phase of, of an axillary nerve palsy. If there's a lot of inflammation associated with this, some of these folks will do well with a steroid and uh, get that inflammation calmed down, get that nerve calmed down, and you try to do activities that don't cause a lot of traction to it. Um, but there is nothing wrong with getting into therapy early on and trying to reactivate these deltoids to give them the best chance to uh, become functional again and start to turn on. And uh, so I would you know, definitely have no problem with people trying to get in and, and start to activate those deltoids. And then you have to deal with all the other compensatory things like the upper trapezius pain from the overwork. Maybe a little taping can help with that. Uh, and uh, you know, some stabilization exercises, electrical stimulation, and, uh, and all of those modalities and manual techniques that can help uh, with that. But really, at first, it's about resting that nerve, letting it settle down, and then uh, getting those muscles activated again. Well, I hope this episode helps you think outside of the box a little bit when you do your next shoulder evaluation. Be sure to check out our website's uh, product page. We have all kinds of downloadable products uh, with tips and pearls that you really can't find in your standard textbook. And we just kind of piece that together in a little different way. We try to simplify it as much as possible so that it's step-by-step step and easy to understand. And uh, you can utilize a lot of this content in the office as kind of a guide to um, you know how to manage your orthopedic and uh, some of your neurological patients. So thank you again so much for listening. Uh, be good to each other and take care. We hope you've enjoyed the show. For some more awesome content, go to orthoevalpal.com. Can't wait to see you there.